Our text this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 16, verses 12 through 16. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world, to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. God sent us here in America a wake-up call 21 years ago today. It was 21 years ago today that the attack on the ten Twin Towers and the Pentagon and what appeared to be an attempted attack either upon the Capitol or the White House itself stirred our nation. As a matter of fact, that although the nations stirred from its apathetic uh, slumber and its indifference, the nation just turned over and went back to sleep. The wake-up call was actually issued by an Islamic group from the Islamic world. It was in all bearing a strike against Christianity. But instead of getting out of bed, America continued to proceed down the path that we have come. America has continued our departure from the very basic principles that now reflect that departure in a degenerate society in which we live. We're shocked almost every day by what the government is doing and what is taking place in the immorality and the depravity of our nation. These certainly then are the last days and the study that we're involved in is an important and urgent study. Understanding current events in the light of Bible prophecy is what we have titled this study, and we are presently examining the book of Revelation. Our text for today is Revelation chapter 16, verse 12, and we actually introduced those verses in our study last time, but along with that, there was a promise to come back to this study with a general summary of the Armageddon campaign that we might kind of put that in perspective. We get parts and pieces from various chapters, so I felt it necessary to give a general overview of the Armageddon campaign, which is the War that is going to be being waged that will prompt Christ to come back to the earth, bringing the raptured church with him, resurrecting the Old Testament saints, and establish his millennial kingdom. This is a military campaign, and it's actually mentioned in the Old Testament as well as in the book of Revelation in the, in, in the New Testament. This, however, in place in Revelation is the only place with all those references that actually names the location of where this battle is going to take place. It gives it the name of Armageddon. The battle of Armageddon should 
be identified, as we said earlier, as the Armageddon campaign because it's more than one battle. It is a series of battles that are grouped together. The phrase that we have in verse 14 of our study chapter in Revelation says, Together them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. The word battle is inaccurately translated. It comes from the Greek word polemos, not the word mashe. And polemos refers to a campaign that's drug out over a period of time. We're actually going to see this drag out, uh, if not all of the three and a half years uh, that of the uh, final half of the tribulation, but a good portion of that. The Armageddon campaign is really another in a series of conflicts that have been located in that particular geographical area. We find... Uh, that this Hebrew word Armageddon uh, is actually from the Hebrew Har-Megedo, which means on a hill or refers to the city of Megiddo itself, which was situated in a very strategic position up on a high uh, plateau and uh, made those that were up there almost inaccessible. Uh, upon the uh, high plateau, but down before it was a valley where many a war has been waged. It's the place where King Saul was killed in battle. It's the place where the Midianites uh, fought against the children of Israel. It's the same place where Barak and Deborah had that victory with the help of Sarah. They had the victory over the Canaanites. It's also the place where Josiah, the good king Josiah, was killed by Pharaoh Necho's Egyptian army. That's recorded for us in Second Kings chapter 23. As a matter of fact, Napoleon Bonaparte once commented, that all the armies of the world could maneuver in this valley. The details of the Armageddon campaign are not given to us here in Revelation 16, but it simply identifies that the campaign will occur in that place and the battle, the final battle will occur uh, during that campaign in that place. It's going to actually feature satanically motivated forces uh, that have been assembled by the four world leaders at that particular time, each of them focusing their eyes on Jerusalem as their target and seeking to overthrow one another that they might be able to control the world. But the outcome reveals that those motivated and directed by Satan himself uh, are going to, those armies are going to be destroyed. They're going to be destroyed by the second advent of Christ. For as the battle is seemingly at its highest pitch, Christ returns to the earth, lands on the Mount of Olives uh, and... uh, begins then to judge the world. The time setting for this battle is the end of the tribulation. Seven years earlier, the church will have already been raptured to heaven as the dead in Christ are raised and then those that of us that may be alive at the coming of our Lord will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye to be like Him We will ascend with them to heaven. And we have already in our earlier study in this series looked at the uh, process that's going to take place on the stage in heaven with the judgment seat of Christ, the awards uh, uh, and commissioning that is going to occur, and then the marriage of the church to Christ 
and all of that will be taking place in heaven. Uh, this will be seven years later as things have been playing out here upon the earth. In the first three and a half years, you may recall that God offers salvation and His grace is is offered to whosoever will uh, through 144,000 Jewish evangelists and uh, uh, then uh, two special evangelists in the last three and a half years, Moses and Elijah, and then uh, uh, yet another special evangelist as an angel uh, will be sent to issue the gospel message of Christ. But there comes a time when God's grace is cut off and when the people have become so hardened that there is no longer any positive response to God's grace. And that will come with the second advent when Christ comes. It will be too late then to repent. It will be too late then to change one's position toward the Almighty. In the 16th chapter of Revelation, seven vials or bowls of wrath have been described, uh, uh, and seven being the sacred number of completion, uh, identifies uh, the cataclysmic catastrophes uh, that are going to be visited here upon the earth in God's judgment. In verse 9 of chapter 16, we read, And the men were scorched with a great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give Him glory. We pointed out that in that heat wave that's going to come, that I come and it will probably even be too hot for me, that in that heat wave that's going to be visited upon the earth, there is going to be a recognition by those that are in the world that it is God Himself that has brought this, but still they will not repent. They will curse God. At the beginning of the tribulation, the dictator of the revived Roman Empire is going to sign a treaty with the false prophet, which is the dictator of Israel. But three and a half years into that period of time, the dictator of the revived Roman Empire will break the treaty and the hatred of Israel uh, being as it is is going to be magnified time and time again. Israel will become an important factor in the economics during the tribulation. Although it's a very small area, it contains a lot of natural resources and God gave them that site because it sits in a very strategic location. Now there are going to be four political influences that will emerge during the tribulation and will be involved in this power grab to control the wealth of the world. And the four influences are identified in the Bible as the king of the west, the king of the north, the king of the south, and the kings of the east. Now those titles are just a reflection of their geographical location with Israel being the point from which you think east, west, north, and south, Israel being the point of that. Now each of these then is comprised of a group of various nations that will unite together with a common goal. The common goal will be survival first and then control of all of the earth's resources. Remember, God has prepped the stage with these uh, tremendous natural judgments that are brought upon the earth. And uh, so now there is a willingness on the part of people to establish themselves with a leader and uh, with a cause and seek to be on the winning side. The king of the north is mentioned in Scripture by a variety 
of names. He's called uh, in our text the King of the North. He is also identified in the book of Daniel as the King of Fierce Countenance. He is called in the book of Isaiah the Assyrian. He is uh, identified as the overflowing scourge in Isaiah as well. He's identified as Gog of the land of Magog in the book of Ezekiel. Now those terms are a reference to the area today that we know as the Russian Soviet bloc. It refers to the people who live in that geographical location. So when you think of the king of the north, we're thinking of the geographical setting of Russia and that Soviet bloc. On the other end, the king of the south refers to a pan-Arabic bloc that includes the Arabic nations along with Egypt. There are, of course, great resources located in that area, and there's a great deal of hatred for Christians and for the Lord Jesus Christ. The kings of the east, and you'll notice the others are singular, but this one is plural. Uh, also referred to as the kings of the sun rising is the actual reading in Revelation uh, verse 12 here in chapter 16. These are oriental nations and they will cross the Euphrates River as we saw in our study last time and they will invade Israel in the second half of the tribulation. At that time, uh, or there was a time when Bible scholars thought probably Japan was the focus of that. But then, of course, the shift moved to China. But we notice the term is plural, and so there's going to be an agreement between some of these Oriental nations that will form that block of people that will invade Israel. The king of the West is the most prominent figure in the book of, of Revelation. Uh, it's a reference to the revived Roman Empire, which will be a confederation of Western Europe. There are a number of different organizations uh, that might be the skeleton for putting that together, but uh, it might not be any one of these existing. NATO has been suggested, the European Common Mart, and other alliances uh, between those in uh, Western Europe have uh, certainly set a pattern for establishing a confederation as it is identified here. Now, we've already seen in our earlier study that uh, the... Uh, King of the West sets up an alliance with the false prophet that is the dictator of Israel during that period of time. So King King of the North, we're looking toward the Russian geographical location. Kings of the South, we're or King of the South, we're looking at a Pan Arabic uh, confederation, the an Islamic movement. Uh, the kings of the east, a pan-oriental uh, confederation, and the king of the west, Western Europe. Where does the United States fit into that? Probably uh, will fit into the king of the west, not as the dominant figure, because uh, uh, it is a revival of the former old Roman Empire with the addition of some new nations that were not in the old Roman Empire to form that new Roman, or what we refer to in Bible language as the revived Roman Empire. Now behind all of this, there is an unholy trinity at work. In verse 13 of Revelation 16, 
we read, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So the factor that motivates and inspires the kings of the earth to gather together at Jerusalem for battle is described here as three unclean spirits that are like frogs. Now you observe that they came out of the mouth of the dragon, which is Satan, out of the beast, which is the dictator of the revived Roman Empire, and out of the false prophet, which is the dictator in Israel. The dragon is Satan himself. His original sin was pride, and it prompted him that he thought he could overthrow God and be like the Most High. And although God has allowed Satan to become the ruler of the world, of this world, he is identified as the God of this world order and identified as the the prince of the power of the air. Uh, We see uh, that uh, identified very clearly here in our text. In Revelation 12, we were introduced to this, uh, beginning at verse 7. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought with his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, and because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So as a result of Satan no longer having access to heaven at that point, midway of the tribulation, he will demand that he be worshipped here on earth and will demand that that worship occur in the Holy of Holies in the rebuilt temple at that time. That's the dragon. The beast, this person was introduced to us back in the 13th chapter of Revelation when John refers to him as the beast out of the sea, which is a term that identifies from the Gentile nations. Land identifies Israel. Sea identifies the Gentile nations. And I stood upon the sand of the sea. It actually says, and he stood upon the sand of the sea and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard. His feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So this is the dictator of the revived Roman Empire. Uh, out of the sea identifies in, uh, from among the Gentile nations. He's identified in other passages as the feet of the image that Daniel saw in Daniel chapter 2, as the little horn in Daniel chapter 7, as the prince that will come in Daniel chapter 9, as the god of forces in Daniel chapter 11, as the man of sin in Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, the scarlet beast in Revelation 17, he'll be the king of the West, dictator then of a revived Roman Empire. He is said to have ten horns that signifies it is a confederation of ten nations that are brought together. So the beast, 
is the dictator of the revived Roman Empire, Western Europe, and what may be left of the United States. Uh, when the church is raptured from the United States, from the world, and especially from the United States, uh, the, there, there is no adhesive to keep the nation together. And so, uh, we probably, uh, see America as part of that ten nation confederation, but not in a place of leadership. The false prophet is mentioned. This is the third member of the unholy trinity, the dragon being Satan himself, the beast being out of the sea, being the dictator of the revived Roman Empire, and the false prophet being the dictator of Israel. John says, And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He is a false prophet, He is identified in Daniel as the willful king. The idle shepherd is the identity that Zechariah assigns him. And uh, we see then in Revelation 16, 13, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. For centuries, demons have been content to work in the background. But in the tribulational period, the last three and a half years, there will be much overt activity uh, among them, uh, they will be able to work effectively with the present-day politicians for the most of it, as as I understand it. But uh, uh, I don't know if you heard Disney uh, has produced a new series uh, they have called The Demon. And uh, it features a, a little girl who has demonic powers because she is, according to the storyline, the offspring of Satan's sexual encounter with a human woman and produces this devil child. And uh, uh, Disney is set to release that. Uh, The stage is one incident after another after another being set for what we see coming In the early days of the tribulation, the dictator of Israel, we identify here as the false prophet, will need support, and so he forms an alliance with the dictator of the revived Roman Empire uh, in exchange for protection, and the Roman government uh, that revived Roman Empire then will share in the wealth of Israel as well. Daniel writes about this in chapter 11. The the king shall do according to his will. He's referring to the willful king, which is the dictator of the revival of Israel. And he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper until the indignation be accomplished for that is determined shall be done. Neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall be honor, shall he honor the God of force. And a God whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory and he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for gain. In this references then the false prophet, the leader in Israel. But in the middle of the tribulation, three and a half years into it, 
the dictator of the revived Roman Empire, we have said, breaks his treaty with the dictator of Israel, and he demands that an image of himself be set up in the Holy of Holies in the temple that had had been or will be rebuilt during that period of time. The Holy of Holies was said in the tabernacle and in the temple to be the dwelling place of God. And so he demands that he be worshipped as God. Matthew chapter 24 references, When you therefore see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee unto the mountains. In Revelation chapter 12, we dealt with this as well. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness. This is Israel is the woman and she's transported into the wilderness into a place where she is nourished for a time. That's a year and times. That's two years and half a time from the face of the serpent. So that's three and a half year period of time. Now there be a lot of attempts to try to lure the Jews out of their hiding place in Edom and Moab in order to kill them. And Matthew records Jesus' reference to this. If any man shall say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible... They would deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chamber, believe it not. And so they'll be attempting to lure the Jews out of their hiding place in order to annihilate them. Well, the stage is set by this formation for the Armageddon campaign. In the past, God has used invading armies to bring judgment upon Israel. Matter of fact, he called Nebuchadnezzar his minister as he allowed heathen nations to bring judgment upon his people, Israel. Now, at this particular time, all of those spheres of influence will begin to maneuver in what we have identified as the Armageddon campaign. So look with me quickly at the Armageddon campaign. Daniel talks about this in the 11th chapter. The king shall do according to his will. We've read and shall exalt himself and magnify himself. The king that is referenced here is a reference then to the dictator, uh, the Antichrist, the, the false prophet in Israel. And neither shall he regard the God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard, regard any God, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces. That's the dictator of the revived Roman Empire. And the God with whom his fathers knew not shall he honor with gold and silver and precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the most, in the most strongholds with a strange God whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory. And he shall cause them to rule over many and shall divide the land for the gain. And at that time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen with ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of the hand, even Edom and Moab 
and the chief of the children of Ammon. That's where the children of Israel will be hiding. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. But tidings come out of the east and out of the north and shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go with great fury to destroy and to utterly make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacle of his palace between the seas in the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. So the king of the north, that Russia geographical area, make a move upon the holy city of Jerusalem, but it's temporary. Uh, They move through there very quickly. Uh, The king of the north is fixated on uh, uh, Egypt and Africa uh, for the minerals and and uh, the values that are there. And so he makes his move. Then we have a reference to the king of the south then makes an attack against Israel in Daniel 11 verse 40. At that time shall, uh, at that time of the end shall the king of the south push at him. In this initial move, the king of the south is said to push at him. Uh, That's That word uh, in the Hebrew, nogah, means to butt heads. uh, And it's used figuratively of wartime. Uh, And he's going to push at the dictator of Israel. So this pan-Arabic bloc called the king of the south will probably be headed by Egypt and will invade Israel in an attempt to seize the country and to put down their long-term enemy. The rival and the warfare between those two go back centuries. Egypt and the nations uh, uh, that are made up of the descendants of Esau. Remember, uh, Jacob uh, is the one that God blessed and uh, he established Jacob established a relationship with God. Uh, Esau, his twin brother, never did. And uh, the descendants of Esau uh, settle in that uh, in those Arabic nations. Uh, they are the offspring of Esau's uh, and his line. Uh, have always had that hatred for Israel and. Uh, uh, with what is taking place in the tribulation then, there is a move on the part then of the king of the south. Now, when that happens, we get some more action from the king of the north. Remember, the king of the north has has moved uh, uh, down through Israel and down uh, going into Africa. And uh, uh, during that period of time then, is when the king of the north, this this Arabic bloc, makes its move on uh, Israel as well. The kings of the north uh, then, uh, the king of the north is going to be alerted to that and he will uh, turn around, instead of going on into Ethiopia and Libya, he will turn around and head back to Jerusalem. So, uh, the, the Middle East kind of forms a land bridge uh, uh, between Russia and Africa. And uh, so uh, the king of the north has to go through that area. Uh, we find then uh, the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind uh, with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. So he's just going to make that quick move down into Africa. Now we have to interpret the Bible in light of the time in which it was written. Uh, Chariots probably today would be some mechanized uh, armed forces. Horsemen could uh, refer to mobilized forces, though uh, 
China boasts a great cavalry, um, and many ships uh, certainly identifies a, uh, a mighty army. So this passage of Scripture shows that the king of the north, uh, the king, the area that's now occupied by Russia, uh, then uh, will make that blitzkrieg run down through uh, Israel and into uh, the area of, of Africa, Egypt and Africa. Now, we find in Daniel chapter 11, verse 41, says, He shall enter also into the glorious land, and many countries shall be overthrown. Glorious land is the land of Israel, and in, in addition to that, then many other countries are going to be overthrown. Uh, but the only ones that escape this blitzkrieg by the king of the north uh, are Edom and Moab and Ammon. Those are the three places where the children of Israel are being hidden and kept safe during this tribulational period. So the objective on the part of the king of the north is to uh, get into Africa and uh, to be able to control uh, the wealth and the minerals uh, uh, that are in that area. Minerals becoming more important as science uh, and inventions are developed and we see the technology constantly changing. Uh, Africa, called many times the Dark Continent, is loaded with some of those uh, uh, precious metals uh, that are going to be used in uh, solar energy and other aspects as well. So the king of the north is headed there, and uh, when he gets down there, uh, then uh, he uh, finds out that the king of the east, the kings of the east, and the king uh, of the south have made their move uh, on uh, the uh, land of Israel and uh, their siege. Remember, the Euphrates River is going to dry up and the kings of the east will come from there. Now, he's got forces in the north. The king of the north has forces still in the north. He has forces out in the sea. And he now has the the larger part of his army down in Africa. And these two, the king of the south and the kings of the east, move in on Jerusalem and set up their command post just outside Jerusalem. And so he is is has no option but to turn around and to go back and uh, set up himself for battle as well with these two nations. Now, the king of the west is not mentioned at that particular point. Because we find as we read through the scripture uh, that darkness is going to be brought upon the king of the west. You remember in our earlier study, we said that darkness was going to come upon just the, the kingdom of the, of the west. Uh, all the, the rest of the world was not going to be in darkness, but they were going to be in darkness so severe that it caused them to gnaw their tongues out of misery uh, and pain. Well, that's going to occur during this time when the king of the north has made his excursion and the king of the south and the kings of the east make their uh, incursions uh, upon Jerusalem. Suddenly he is locked in uh, to uh, darkness and is not able to respond uh, to the situation at that particular point. I've included in your study guide uh, the a passage of Scripture uh, from the book of Joel uh, that speaks of this time. Uh, Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tribble, tri- tremble for the day of the Lord cometh at for it is nigh at hand. 
So the stage is very quickly uh, being set for that which is going to uh, occur uh, during this particular period of time. Now, throughout this passage, and I'll not read it uh, this morning, uh, it's 32 uh, verses, but I would encourage you to read that uh, information. Uh, there are a number of analogies uh, that are used in the passage, and uh, we're going to examine them in in due time. But there's another passage of Scripture that describes this siege from the standpoint of the believing Jew. What you have in the book of Joel is a presentation uh, from unbelievers. It's the view dealing with unbelievers during this time. But then in the book of Zechariah, we have a, a reference that deals then with the believing Jew. It says, The burden of the word of the Lord for Israel, saith the Lord, which stretcheth forth the heavens, and layeth the foundation of the earth, and formeth the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling unto all the people round about, when they shall be in the siege, both against Judah and against Jerusalem. In that day I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people, for all that burden themselves. With it shall be cut in pieces, though all of the people of the earth shall be gathered against it. In that day, saith the Lord, I will smite every horse with astonishment and his rider with madness, and I will open mine eyes upon the house of Judah and will smite every horse of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, The inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be my strength in the Lord of hosts. In that day I will make the governors of Judah like a hearth of fire among the wood, and like a torch of fire in a sheep, and they shall devour all the people round about. On the right hand and on the left, and Jerusalem shall be inhabited again in her own place, even in Jerusalem. The Lord also shall save the the tents of Judah first, that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem do not magnify themselves against Judah. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David, and the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and the supplication, and they shall look unto whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. In that day shall there be great mourning in Jerusalem, as the mourning of Hadamon in the valley of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn, every family apart, the family of the house of David apart, and their wives, the family of the house of Nathan apart, and their wives apart, and the families of the house of Levi apart, and their wives apart, the family of Shemai apart, and their wives apart, and the families that remain, every family apart, and their wives apart. So there are two different perspectives of Armageddon, one from the believer and one from the unbeliever. For the unbeliever, the troops that are camped outside the city spell doom. But for the believers that are still in Jerusalem, and a third of the city is inhabited at that time, those as well as those that are in hiding in the mountains, the the troop encampment outside Jerusalem spells the stage is finally there and Christ, the Messiah, is about to return. At that time, then, they'll be better off in the hills than in Jerusalem, but they will glory that God is doing what He said He was going to do and uh, Christ is coming again. 
Well, the purpose, my purpose of the summary of the Armageddon is kind of help us understand who the primary actors are uh, that developed during the tribulational period and to help you see the preparation as it's taking place right now. Certainly, uh, the stage is being prepared. Our role as sojourners, that is foreigners who live alongside the locals, is that we are to do the king's business. We have the revelation of what God is going to do. We see in news every day the preparation for that occurring. And so there ought to be an urgency on our part to utilize the circumstances that God presents us every day and the gifting that He has given us as believers so that when those divine appointments come along throughout the week, we recognize them as such and we share as God would uh, direct us to share at that particular point. Now, with this overview, we're going to go back next week to the 17th chapter of Revelation. And in the 17th chapter of Revelation, uh, we're going to uh, move forward. We're going to see uh, the destruction of the economic system, of the political system, and uh, uh, also of the religious system that will have uh, been formed during that time. Uh, then we'll we'll eventually get to this battle, but we need this overview, I felt like, to at least understand the characters and the general setting. So the king of the north is that area we know today as Russia. Uh, the kings of the south is the uh, Egypt and the Arabic nations in the south. The kings of the east uh, will be a formulation of na- nations uh, from the Orient. And the king of the west is the revived Roman Empire, Western Europe, and probably what's left of the United States at that particular point. This battle is going to be the end of the campaign. So you'll see there, there are a number of military uh, maneuvers during uh, this seven-year period, especially during the last uh, three and a half years. But all of that is geared to bring us to Jerusalem with the four powers of the earth at that time uh, pitched to do battle to annihilate the Jews, to take over that geographical location, Christ himself will come, bringing with him 10,000 of thousands of armies. But he does all the fighting. The Bible says he slays them, defeats them with the word, the sword, which is the word from his mouth. And uh, then the judgment will begin of all the nations as they're brought before him at Jerusalem. 